Hi everyone, uh, thank you for listening to a new episode of Blacks and Dispatches. Uh, I want to take a moment right before the episode starts properly, uh, just to let people know that if you are someone with a really strong aversion to imagery of suicide or self-harm, please skip this episode. Uh, it's not a major part of the episode, but it is there, uh, and I would just really feel shitty if people looking for an entertaining podcast episode had this sprung on them and were very upset by it. You know, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to entertain and thrill and scare and all that kind of stuff, but we're not here to bum anybody out uh, or ruin anybody's day. So, like I said, if imagery of suicide, you know, imagery and description of suicide and or self-harm really freaks you out, really upsets you, please skip this episode and we'll meet back in December with the next episode and we can all go from there. Um, I, I do think the imagery was necessary for the story this month, um, so I don't regret putting it in there, but if you are someone who is upset by these things, please skip this episode and we'll, like I said, we'll meet back here in December with another fun one, or as close to fun as I can do. Given everything that's happened this year, um, but like I said, in the meantime, uh, like I said, if you don't want to listen to me describe suicide or self harm, please skip this episode. Uh, if you're on board, you're on board. Cool. That's we'll start up in just a moment. Uh, but I just want to give people that forewarning uh, to make sure that we're all happy and healthy as we can be. Uh, so yeah. So thanks everybody. I said, I'm going to take a little breather, and then we will right be you, jump right into the episode. All right. Thanks, everyone. Every day was the same. Bodies struggled out of bags like reluctant rejects from cloth cocoons. They were offered nothing so calming as a dawn. Simply, it was dark, and then it was not. The black suns overhead awoke, and all was then bright. At least, as bright as things got beneath the gray slate sky. There would be stretching and groaning. Fires would be started and gathered around, a ritual given greater importance as the weather turned colder and the very air seemed transformed into an antagonist. Scouts would set out to plot that day's trek, though no planning seemed all that necessary anymore. The forest ran forever. Forever was the forest. Black bark trees extended onwards, only occasionally interrupted by a river here or a clearing there. The first few times that a river was reached, the first few times that a river was reached, the survivors tried to follow the water to a point of either origin or termination, but the rivers ran in loops that fed into and emptied out of each other, and into itself like a snake that had devoured its own tail, and was now throwing it back up again 
so it could have seconds. Now, the survivors settled for crossing rivers and pressing onwards, though no one could say what they were pressing on to. What was there to anticipate when all you had to look forward to was another whirl around the cycle? Still, the likes of Terry and others cut from his enterprising cloth went out each day to survey the various directions they might adopt and to foretell the terrain the survivors would soon be charged with crossing. Each day, at last, Boone Cassandra would take in what she was told and then by her footsteps forge a path in which the others would soon follow. Each day, they picked their way through the forest of black bark trees. Some moved in small clutches, others plodded along alone, but the flock moved each day, each day slouching on in defiance of the hateful horizon. The only surprises any day brought was in the morning, when you might look around and be struck by the face or faces you did not see. In their place were empty spaces, like a song played on a piano with missing keys. Some made a spectacle of their leaving. They made sure to leave their bodies in places they'd be sure to be spotted. Some took on an exhibitionist quality, you could say. Like the couple who cut each other's wrists and then commenced to rut into each other until all was spent. That night was especially cold, and in the morning, the two bare bodies were frozen together by a layer of frost stained pink. The ground was too hard to dig a grave, and no blankets could be spared to extend the couple some dignity. They were left as is, to be licked at by the curious beasts, until spring thought alas freed and spoiled the meat. Others wished for no such attention. One night, the survivors made camp by a river, and Magda Perluski got to sing old folk songs with the crackling fire and the rushing water as her accompanist. Soon, virtually every survivor was raising their voice and clapping their hands. Even the woman Cassandra was seen grinning ear to ear and keeping time. When Magda finally let off, there was thunderous applause and enough whooping and cheering to raise the dead. That night, Magda Perluski filled her pockets with stones and stole into the water, and the water took her. Every day was the same. They were offered nothing so calming as an evening. There was light, and then there was not. The black suns closed, but their hate remained. Their hate not only filled the sky, it was the sky. Every day was always just the same. Until it wasn't. Until the morning when fireside murmurs halted as Terry fell out of the sky and ran frantic to find Cassandra. The source of his frenzy was not known at first, and the message grew garbled as it traveled through the crowd. 
but for all the mutations that the message underwent. In it was a core that could not be missed or mangled or misspoken. They had come at last to the end of the forest. Their first steps out from beneath the trees were skittish, as if any moment the sand might turn mobile beneath their feet. The ground held, and so they approached. The ground held, and so they approached the mounds. The thought at first was that it was a garbage dump of some kind. That was, after all, the first image that came to mind when faced with a random assemblage of loose-leaf detritus. Nothing but cast-offs, unwanted waste, and the evidence of unchecked excess. But as they took their skittish steps into the midst of the mass, the thoughts of junk piles and garbage dumps began to fade. The items were too neatly arranged, the items themselves, too sparkling and new. No one commented as the survivors began to drift away from one another. No one had a name for or knew the source of the voice that led each one to the collection that they knew to be theirs. The voice whispered you around and through the weaving rows until your feet delivered you to an inconspicuous pile and an alarm inside your head went off, chiming, mine. The objects were handled as if one and all were spun out of glass and air, as if the slightest bit of misplaced pressure would cause the whole illusion to fracture. Terry circled a pile that spoke yours to him. The way he might edge around the perimeter of a sleeping predator that might at any moment leap and lash. At last he stepped closer and allowed his hands, heavy with claws, to reach out and make contact with the offerings. What was offered were artifacts of the life he had not been allowed to have. His high school diploma Surrounded by ticket stubs from all the movies he would have taken himself to see once he got some money in his pocket and was old enough to take himself. The dog-eared paperbacks that would have been his salvation when teenage blues got the better of him. The vinyl collection he would have started. Plastic bead necklaces. Used glow sticks. Overturned red solo cups. Evidence from all the times when youth seemed so eternal that it was nothing to obliterate passages from it in waves of chemical revelation. Here were all the frivolous nights he would never get to delight in wasting. Here was the sweat of body on body, 
of passing moments of youthful immortality burned off with each other. Here was Mike. Terry's hands shook as he plucked these pictures from the places they peppered his collection. In the pictures he saw played out the love story that should have been his to live. Boyhood friends thinking nothing of easy physical intimacy. Clenched, nervous teens with their hands clapped to their sides, bodies rigid and apart, glances that betrayed deeper wants. And then the breaking down. Mike in his arms, Terry in Mike's, lips locked tight enough to erase the whole rest of the world. The kind of contact that's a hunger, that's a need, as if the only thing that can keep you going is electricity that you sample through your lover's skin. The last image was of the two of them on a sofa, Terry's left arm on the arm of the chair, his other wrapped around Mike's waist, Mike with his head against Terry's shoulder. Mike was looking ahead, but Terry was looking down, a small smile on his face as he contemplated the man he loved. There was need in this too, but not hunger. And there was Mike, years older than he ever got the chance to be. Terry flipped through the pictures over and over and then over again. Flipped through images fast enough and they seemed to move. Maybe he could bring it to life. Maybe he could step inside and have it this life that should have been his. Live this love that had been stolen from him. Terry paid no mind to anyone around him, just as no one around him paid him any mind. They were themselves too caught up in their own collections, too busy losing themselves in lives they never got the chance to lead in hopes that had been long ago dashed. This, then, was where all those hopes came to rest rather than be forgotten. It wasn't a garbage dump. It was a graveyard, a graveyard of abandoned hope. Cassandra's fingers thrilled as they brushed across the wedding dress she would have worn. The photos glowed, glorious with their visions of her and Priya Patel, arm in blissful arm as they strode confident together towards whatever the future might hold. Here was the life they should have shared. No sickle blades, no civil wars. No cradling the burned flesh of the love of your life as the glow, that glow, fades from her eyes and leaves you forever. Date nights that should have been spent touring favorite dive bars and clubs before stumbling towards bed through the dark apartment, each of you tasting the other's last whiskey as hot mouths gasp towards one another. Better that 
then tearing through the midnight streets in a commandeered ambulance, en route to slay some new monster or pull some fresh victim out of whatever jaws from whichever hell was making an appearance that night. She mourned those happy days that could have been, but for this endless misery they uselessly strained to survive until such time as survival was no longer an option. Except, the thought tried to dart away from Cassandra's attention, but she pinned it down on a razor tip and studied it over. Except, it hadn't been only darkness and misery in the city beneath the black sun. Maybe misery and darkness had been all the black sun had to offer up. But they, she and Priya and all their people, they had taken those meager offerings and fashioned them into something entirely else. If the sky denied them light, they made their own. There had been death and sorrow, of course, but so had there been friendships and laughter and community and stolen moments of joy and love. It was impossible but still it had happened, and the love she shared with Priya Patel wasn't some abstract fairy tale to be pined over like a fantasy too pure to be realized. A dream so beautiful you wouldn't want it to come true. It had come true. It had happened. The agony of its ending did not change that. It had happened. These pictures, these lies, could never hope to capture the truth of that love. That love formed during mad dashes at midnight when death and damnation seemed only a half second away at best. Maybe it was cruel that she and Priya could only find each other through circumstances like that, but that was the way of things. You didn't choose your love story anymore than you chose who you loved. These pictures, these lies, they told a different story. One that starred different people. Cassandra would mourn Priya Patel for all the rest of her life. Even after the wound scarred over into stone, fresh blood would forever be easily wrung out. But she would not trade the love at the heart of that scar for anything. She didn't need this graveyard to offer her some false love she could have instead. She didn't need this phony hope masquerading as the real thing. Her hope lived forever in her heart, strong beneath all those scars, living alongside all those she loved that now she carried always within her. Cassandra got to her shaky feet and looked blinking around. All were silent, lost in reverent worship toward talismans of unrealized lives. The only noise was a low breeze over fabrics and cloths, and tiny pings as a disbelieving finger tapped at isolated piano keys. Cassandra realized that for one last time, she and Priya would together slay a monster. She surveyed her own stack any reverence long abated. 
now was just a pile of crap she had no real use for. She decided that the dress would be the first thing she burned. False hopes went up like dry tinder. Terry found Mustafa at the far edge of the graveyard and took a seat beside his surrogate father. Mustafa's stack was already smoldering, but the man held one picture tight in his hand. In the picture, Mustafa's grinning face was flanked by that of a smiling black woman, and those are three happy youths all squeezing together to get in frame. This picture is actually real, Mustafa said. We took it maybe four months before the city fell. None of them made it past the first year. After that, I spent a while trying as hard as I could to die, but it wouldn't take. All I wanted was to be out of this world and into whatever next one is waiting. And if all there is is dark, then all I wanted was to let darkness flood in and erase everything. Except it's been years. Years. And they are still gone. And I'm still here. We are still here, Terry said. Mustafa nodded, and for a while did not make any move beyond that. Now the air was loud and hot. Many towers of flame cracked and snapped as false hopes vanished into orange and black. Mustafa laid the picture gently down among the rest of his monument then stepped back to watch the fire lap away at its borders before moving hungrily forward to swallow the entire image. He could not have done it without Terry beside him, but Terry was beside him, and so he stood the flame. Terry said, I don't know what we're supposed to do next, and I'm scared. I'm so fucking scared, like always. Mustafa embraced his son. We will face it, he said. All that day and all that night, they burned the graveyard and all its false hopes, which burned so easily like dry kindling. At the last, a few could not bear the sight and raced back into the flames before they could be stopped. The survivors stood a fair sight back, made warm by the blaze given up by false dreams. If they saw etched in the smoke, elongated faces stretching in endless shrieks of pain and rage, 
They could not say if these were the visages of some defeated foe, or were instead their own pain now exercised in fire and ash. Each of them, at some point that night, regretted what they had done. Cassandra, most of all. But they made no move to add to the sacrifice, and instead simply watched as island after island sizzled and then was gone. In the morning, the survivors were faced with petrified heaps lying scattered in sequence, looking like flash-frozen, tar-soaked anthills. Each took it in turn to sigh with true sorrow. And then the survivors turned their backs on the offerings and pressed onwards into the wastelands and the wilds. There is nothing like hope to be found in such places. The survivors would have to invent their own. But that was fine. They had done so before. Thank you for listening to a new episode of Black Sun Dispatches, part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. My name is Brandon Foley, and I write, produce, and perform, <laughs> perform, perform the show. Uh, thank you, as always, to all the sponsors, sponsors of Cinepunks programming, including Lehigh Valley Apparel, uh, Essex Coffee, and all of our listeners who support us via our Patreon feed. Um, if you'd like to support uh, Cinepunks programming, including the show, uh, please donate to the Patreon, uh, or just spread the word, but via, you know, rating and reviewing on iTunes, just talking about us on social media, all that good stuff. It, it's all, even a little goes a long way to make sure people know about this show, about Cinepunks, about all the cool stuff that we have going on, uh, on the podcast network, including tons of great writing over the Cinepunks website, and all kinds of amazing programming offered of the various podcasts. So please head over to cinepunks.com and check out all the stuff we have to offer you. Uh, it's quite a lot. If you want to know more about Black Sun Dispatches, you can follow us on Twitter at Black Sun Show. And you can follow me on Twitter at the true Brendan F. As always, music was Winter by E.L. Heath and our logo was designed by Jennifer Rogers. I hope you guys all enjoyed this episode. Uh, so please stay tuned in December. We'll have if all goes according to plan, we'll have one more episode before the year is out, uh, and that will be the last episode of this season, and then we will roll right into January with even more stuff. So, like I said, I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. I hope you'll be there in December for the next one, uh, and all the ones after that. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day, and <laughs> have a great holiday season. Bye-bye.